0: blog talk radio hi there welcome to teach me to talk the podcast i'm Laura my pediatric speech language pathologist and today is monday october 28th 2013 and i'm so happy that you've joined me for the show before we get started Started. Let me make several announcements. First of all, let's talk about the conference schedule for the remainder of the fall. I'll be in Charleston, West Virginia on November 7th and 8th. November 7th is an updated course based on my first conference, but it's called Best Practices for Facilitating Early Speech-Language Development in Toddlers, and that's on Thursday. And then on Friday, I'll be doing... Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, which is based on my book and the theory really um, included in the book for getting that verbal imitation piece going. So I'd love for you to join me in Charleston for either of those conferences, and you can get registration information and register at teachmetotaut.com. Secondly, I'll be doing building verbal imitation in toddlers in two other places before the end of the year. First of all, in Louisville, my town. So this is the hometown event for all of our um, friends that are in the Louisville area. And again, that's on Thursday, December 5th at the beautiful Marriott East. And so you can, again, get registration information at teachmetotalk.com. And let me include this for therapists who are Kentucky First Steps providers. I've gotten that course pre-approved through state lead agency, so there is no hassle for you in coming to that course. You can be confident that that will be accepted by state lead agency as, again, with no effort on your part, just sending in your certificate in the way that we normally do through Kentucky First Steps to get our courses approved. I'm also going to teach the same course in in indianapolis on friday december 6th so thursday doesn't work out for you come on to indy with me (laughs) and this is also too for uh, all of our first steps friends in indiana and so if you're a kentucky provider though you can get that course or that day is approved as well Um, And there's been such a great response for the Indianapolis event. So if you want to come to that, do not wait to register because that's a smaller venue than we normally use. And those seats are filling up really, really quickly, which makes me so happy. But go ahead and get your registration in, especially if you're coming to Indianapolis because I don't want you to miss that. All right, let me direct your attention to a really interesting research article that I posted last week on com's Facebook page. And I think I also tweeted the link too. But let me tell you about this study. And again, it's one of those things where I always say, I love it when research backs up what we've been doing and what best practices are in early intervention And this study really confirms that, and it talks about language predictors for our little friends with autism spectrum disorders. And they looked at several factors to determine what would be the biggest predictor of children who would go on to talk, and we know this is and who also have an autism diagnosis. And we know this is important because studies tell us that about a third of kids, or even up to half of kids with autism may only be minimally functional with language. So what does that mean? That means that they, it could mean that they don't ever learn to talk, that they are nonverbal or only minimally verbal, meaning that they just have a few little words that they use or a few little phrases or maybe are echolalic, but they don't really have functional language. So this study, again, is important because it, it helps us pinpoint as, Therapists and as parents of children with autism spectrum disorders, what kinds of things, what indicators lead us to believe that this child will eventually acquire language? And in the past, studies have said that things like pretend play or imitating a parent's gestures, like with um, doing household routines, were Big predictors, but some of those things don't come as early for our little friends with a diagnosis of ASD as um, some of of what they found, what these researchers found to be the best and biggest actually. I can't wait to share this information because, again, it's something I talk about every single day. And so the conclusion for this study was that the number of social games and routines in which children with autism can participate at a young age predict the development of language production over time. So what does that mean? That means your back-and-forth little games like Ring Around the Roses and peek and even games that you make up that the child learns to play and that eventually he, again, is responding during it, and he's participating, and he's totally engaged while you're playing it, and he remembers the game, and eventually he initiates that game. All of those little routines that we do, all of those social games that we teach um, play a big, big part in, in building that foundation for language development. And again, the researchers say it's because when we teach little games like that, we're really teaching skills like turn-taking and imitation and joint attention and social engagement. And when I'm talking about teaching social games like this in my courses, I always say, this is the best therapy strategy to use because your goals are already built in. Uh, turn-taking and and eye contact and all of those things are naturally included when you play those little social games together. So if you've not been playing social games, (laughs) you need to stop what you're doing right now and learn how to play some of those. And what I've been saying in my courses this fall is that every therapist needs at least 10 go-to games that you know inside and out and that you are able to teach and that you're able to tweak your goals, that you're able to Um, really plan and play and modify and use with every kid that you see, no matter what his or her functional developmental level is and what your eventual goals would be. And so if you don't know how to do that, I've got a great resource to help you with uh, my book, Teach Me to Play With You. Or you can go to some other great authors for help with that. The Hannon books, the book More Than Words, talks a lot about social games and how important those kinds of things are. Um, Susan Odd great book Giggle Time talks about how to make up these little games yourself and how to adapt even traditional games, traditional uh, nursery rhymes so that you're using those with a child and so that you are really goal oriented and so that you're teaching responses in sequential tiny baby steps so that even our youngest little clients and our clients who struggle the most with social interaction really can learn to participate over time. More importantly, those resources will help you know how to involve parents in those games because it's not just good enough for us to play those games during therapy time. We have to also teach parents how to play so that they can carry over the games and help a child really generalize those skills. And so, again, I wanted to talk about that today so that you are routinely using social games and so that you know how to Uh, Document that in your notes so that you can show measurable progress over time. And, again, the study is excellent backup, and it's what we do in early intervention as one of our earliest goals for a child who's not talking. And, again, if we don't have a child who has that social interaction piece firmly established, we shouldn't be working on words. We really shouldn't even be working on anything (laughs) beyond getting that social connection going, and those little games and routines are a great way to do that. So I wanted to mention that. If you've not seen that study, look at teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page. I posted it last week on, let's see, I posted it on October 25th, so I think that was last Friday. So take a look at that and um, use that for your um, ongoing kind of source that you when you talk about social games with parents, You'll have a great recent study to really back up um, using that as a therapy strategy. All right. For today's show, I don't have a guest, which is absolutely fine with me. <laughs> Sarah Bingham from We Hands was supposed to be on today, but she had a last minute conflict and she is rescheduled for next Monday. So since I've had a few hours to kind of sit and think about, you know, what should I do for today's show? Should we cancel it? Should we move forward? What should we do? I started thinking about what I had been doing earlier in the day, which is planning my therapy activities for the rest of the week for my little friends. And I thought, well, I'm just going to share this and we'll just talk about some therapy ideas that are topical, that are... (laughs) Related to this time of year, and if you live in the northern hemisphere, you are celebrating or or entering autumn or fall. And so I want to talk about how I'm using these kinds of seasonal therapy activities this week with my little friends in therapy. And I'll talk to you about the kinds of children that I'm playing these games with. And who these activities work for and what tweaks or modifications you might need to make them successful for other kinds of children. So for every therapy idea that we get through today, I want to talk about the activity, how to set it up, what your goals would be or your focuses would be from all of those areas that we talk about social interaction, and with receptive language, expressive language, and speech intelligibility. So we're going to try to talk about those areas as well. And then again, give you some troubleshooting ideas. And I want to make sure, too, that you know how to use all of these ideas, not only with individual children, but also with groups. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're practicing in a public school setting where you see most of your children in groups, or even in an office where you might have multiple children at a time, I'm talking about the kind of groups that we have even for home visits, meaning that the brothers and sisters are there. (laughs) It might be a younger sibling or an older sibling, or it might be little, again, little neighborhood peers or cousins or whoever mom uh, of your little client is babysitting on that day. So we often have groups of children that we need to accommodate and include in our therapy sessions, even if they're not really formally clients of ours, so I want to be sure that you are able to take these ideas and use them for multiple purposes or multiple um, multiple kinds of settings. And again, for for those of us who who really specialize in birth to three, and those of us who even see children who are a little older. And as my private practice um, <laughs> has continued to grow over the last several years, I see many more preschool age children than I used to. And again, even children that are older but that are still developmentally functioning in that early intervention period. So don't forget, even if chronologically a child is older than three, these ideas may still be highly developmentally appropriate for that particular child based on his or her true developmental level or where they're functioning. So, so don't just hear that these are toddler ideas and think, oh, I'm not, this show isn't going to really work for me because I see preschoolers, or if you're a parent of a child who's four, and minimally verbal or who has a range of issues and communication challenges are just one of your concerns with your child. Again, you can take these activities and adapt them. And we'll also talk about uh, motor skills and the, and the motor goals that we can address. And so many of us in early intervention, as speech-language pathologists and as um, developmental interventionists or special instructors or whatever whatever a teacher person is called in your state, so many of us are really called on to address needs of children that go beyond communication. And I think that's fine. We're looking at the whole child. Now, again, sometimes people talk about that's outside the scope of my practice, blah, 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 whatever. My opinion is if I can figure out a way to really target that skill even in the midst of my activity that's supposed to be for speech language skills that's okay I'm giving that child an additional uh, opportunity to practice skills that he or she may need um, to really again need more time to master so we're going to talk about all of that today so let's start by talking about some activities that are really kinds of social activities or activities that would really engage a child's attention when he or she may not really be great at sitting down and playing with you yet or maybe they're not quite into toys. So let's talk about three little songs that I've used uh, for a while now um, that are great for this time of year. The first song is Brown Squirrel, Brown Squirrel. Now, you may have seen this song as Gray Squirrel. I don't know what color the squirrels are where you live (laughs) you'll just have to look outside and see for yourself but I like to sing brown because um, I think that's a a color that children in this uh, younger age range may be more familiar with versus gray but again use your own, own judgment on that uh, but the song goes like this. And again, forgive my singing voice. I don't really think about how I sound when I sing in real life, but sometimes on the podcast when I sing, I get a little nervous. I don't know why, but let me sing this song for you. And it, it's or or you could do it as a chant. So let's kind of do it that way too. So you say, brown squirrel, brown squirrel, shake your bushy tail. And again, when you're singing that shake your bushy tail part. This is a song you need to stand up on and move your honey while you're doing that. And, and we'll talk about the purpose in a minute, but let me get through the whole song. Okay, brown squirrel, brown squirrel, shake your bushy tail. Brown squirrel, brown squirrel, shake your bushy tail. Grab a nut between your toes, wrinkle up your little nose. Brown squirrel, brown squirrel, shake your bushy tail. Okay, again, you should do the motions, the body motions, the big gross motor movements as you're singing this song. We know that music sometimes works to allure a child to us and to capture his attention much more reliably than just spoken language can do. So using little songs and even using that chanting Kind of kind of um, verbal pattern is so effective for young children. And you might use the song when a little friend of yours has strayed away. You might use it to introduce a toy. You may have um, you may be able to go find some little squirrels. I have a whole package of them for when I ran my playgroup program from 2002 to 2004. And I save everything. I'm kind of a toy hoarder. And so I still have a Ziploc filled with squirrels that Dollar Tree had those years. And we did this little activity. And so as we were singing this song, every child held a little squirrel, that stuffed animal, so that we could play with that. And it was a physical representation of what the word squirrel means. Now, squirrel is a pretty Phonetically complex word. As early inter- intervention therapists, we probably are not going to use that word as an, a target or a goal for articulation <laughs> because the R's there and the L's there and the consonant blend at the beginning. So don't worry too much about it if the children that you're working with can't really say squirrel, whatever their variation is. That's fine. Uh, so. So you're looking at that. Your first and foremost goal, though, is that social interaction piece that the child is with you. Secondly, your second goal there is going to be what I mentioned, that that gross motor imitation. Will the child try to copy your movement? So you're both standing, and you were shaking your behind when you were singing, shake your bushy tail. You're pointing to your toes when you're saying, grabbing up between your toes. Wrinkle and then pointing to your nose when you're saying wrinkle up your little nose. And so, again, watch the child. See if he or she, first of all, is paying attention to you. And secondly, can he try to copy those those body motions, those hand motions that you're using? And those are prerequisite skills for talking in every single child. Even our children with severe motor Um, delays and disorders should be trying to do something that lets you know that, gosh, I can participate in this song, even if they're just smiling, even if they're trying to just move their little bodies in some way, shape, or form. So, again, that's what you're looking for, first and foremost, when you're doing this kind of activity. Now, I mentioned using the visual uh, representation of the squirrel, whether that's a toy you may have a book about squirrels that you could use this song as an introductory activity for the book or even a follow-up activity. And, again, it's going to be a way to make the word squirrel <laughs> come alive for a child and, and make it more meaningful and more relevant. Another great squirrel activity uh, I've used in the last say, six months, is called, it's a game, it's like a little board game, and it's called the Sneaky Snacky Squirrel Game, and I I found this game through Facebook, through a friend of mine, Kelly Nelson, who's a developmental interventionist, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful therapist, and she's been on the show before, and she's done a great uh, therapy guide through myei2.com on sensory bottles, but I saw that she commented about this or said that this was one of her own child's favorite game. So that made me sit up and take notice because I value her opinion, and she said that her own little guy liked to do it. So I got it, and it's I've, I got mine from Amazon, and it's a cute little fine motor game. It's, I'm trying to open the box right now, and it's a little game so that I can describe it to you, but it's a little game that has little tree trunks, Um, as your board, and then little holes that are color-coded. And the object of the game is to get the acorn that also, and again, I like using these little plastic acorns. They're safer than real acorns, and again, they're plastic. They are kind of small, so if you have a child who mouths, this may not be the the best game to use. But uh, little color-coded tops on these acorns and matching the colors is, um, you know, the, the, the goal for this game. Now, I have children just use this with their fingers. So they just pick um, an acorn and then get it in the corresponding slot. Now some of our little friends will not be able to match by color yet. That's okay. And again, we're not really teaching colors with this game. Matching comes well before a child would ever be able to to answer a question like, what color is this? And so you want to always focus on that matching component first. And so a child, again, could do it with his fingers or this game comes with a darling uh, set of tongs tail, has the googly eye, everything. So really cute, cute, cute way to work on fine motor skills, too. And if you have little guys that are older toddlers or who are quite proficient with their motor skills, they may be able to use the tongs even earlier than you expect and surprise you. Or if you have preschoolers who haven't mastered all of those little fine motor prerequisites for writing... Using tongs is a great way to target that. So cute little game. If you have more than one child, you could follow the real rules and use the spinner where you, you know, spin. And then, again, I don't even know all the real rules to this game because I modify every single activity I ever use. But you could take a look at that and, and for your little sibling who are older that you're really um, – want to make this game a little more challenging for or have some real rules to kind of see how they adapt and their little self-regulatory skills, whether they can hold it together to wait for their turn and follow your adult um, directions, you could use the spinner and, again, maybe follow the, the, the regular rules for this game. But I love it for toddlers, and it's been a real hit for the children that I've used it with, and I'm certainly pulling that back out this week. Uh, since it's a great fall-related activity. All right, so that was our first kind of um, activity. And, again, we talked about your goals there. We talked about our social goals receptively. Certainly, we are teaching a new noun. Children may not have had a lot of experience or a lot of exposure to the word squirrel yet. We're certainly teaching following directions if we're using that little game. And so expressively... Again, you can do any kind of thing with incorporating your target words that you're working on. If you're using the game, you could have the child request for more. If you were working on intelligibility and you were doing those uh, alveolar sounds, nut would be the word that I would use rather than acorn because I've got that N at the beginning and T at the end, and we know that when we place, when we use target words where the sound is in the same sound class at both the beginning and the end, we know that the phonological process of including the same kind of consonant sound in there is going to help us a little bit, uh, that intelligibility piece. So, again, lots of goals that you can incorporate around that one little thing. All right, let's move on to the second song or the second kind of activity, and we're going to be talking about things we can do with pumpkins. Now, the song is one that I've used on the show a lot, and if you've seen any of my previous therapy guides, I wasn't necessarily doing fall-related activities, but it's the same little tune. You can just modify it from holiday to holiday to holiday. And it's the Pass the Pumpkin song. And, again, we might have sung Pass the Egg at Easter time or Pass the Heart for Valentine's Day. But because it's close to Halloween and certainly on throughout Thanksgiving, we can sing and talk about pumpkins. So here's this song. It's past the pumpkin, past the pumpkin, all around, all around. And then you can change the word here to whatever you need it to be. For this week, we would sing Halloween is coming, Halloween is coming to our town, to our town. And so what can you do as you're singing this song? If you have even one child there with you, I would suggest getting a real pumpkin because we're teaching (laughs) – always trying to teach words concretely first so get yourself a real pumpkin or use the pumpkin that the child's family's already purchased and has outside and so you could even pass that back and forth as the best as the you sing the song and you're engaging the child in that all right if mom's there with you you automatically again have a little group and so the three of you would sit on the floor and you would sing the song as you pass the pumpkin now Sometimes our little friends don't want to pass the pumpkin. They want to hold it. They want to hoard it. They want to keep it to themselves. You really want to practice this idea of passing the pumpkin because that's working on turn-taking and reciprocity and the idea that you do something and then I do something and then you do something and then I do something. So games like this really teach that concept so much easier to toddlers than even sharing toy or a prized possession that he doesn't want to let go. You know, usually this is a novel object, uh, a real pumpkin. His mom may not have let him play with these things before. So, again, you've got the novelty there. And so you're introducing this object, and the first way that you're going to play with it is that everybody's going to share it by doing this little turn-taking game. Now, will it always go smoothly with every child? No. And what do you do if the child doesn't want to give it up? Well, you just take it for a millisecond, as I like to say, and then you give it right back. And you're still singing the whole time, and you're still keeping it fun and keeping it light. You don't get into a power struggle and say, you better give me the pumpkin, you know, or stop the game and do a whole big, you know, big diatribe on sharing don't do that just keep singing and again it's probably going to work better if you have several people there so that the child can see each person pass it to the next person in the circle and kind of understand the game from that perspective with everybody passes it and everybody takes a turn and your turn only lasts about a second before you pass it on you may also have a helper with the child so that you're holding the the helper or you you're holding the child in your lap so when the pumpkin gets passed to you you can put you know hand over hand assistance and you can actually help the child take the pumpkin and then put it in the next person's hands or lap or however you're doing it and again that hand over hand assistance helps so many children and because this is a new activity you may see better reciprocity and turn-taking than, again, if you had used it with something that the child had already used previously. So I think it's a great way to target so many of our little social goals. And, again, do you care if the child really sings? No way. (laughs) You're just looking for participation here and engagement and, again, doing all those things that we talked about. So um, great, great, great way to work on um, your social goals. Okay, you can also do some fantastic receptive language um, activities with real pumpkins. And again, if you're using your little group uh, there with siblings or whether it be peers or other children or whatever you have, you could do some things with following directions. So what are some things we can do with pumpkins that are really, really fun? Well, we could take a real Montessori approach. (laughs) And if you are on Pinterest, Take a look at this. I've pinned it previously uh, on my Halloween for Toddlers. And on Pinterest, um, my professional boards are teachmetotalk.com. And you can see the boards there. A lot of people get confused because they don't put the .com in there. So, so look it up like that. And then click on the board, you know, Halloween for Toddlers. And you can see um, this pin. And then hopefully, it will trace back to the real article. And so again, if you a um, real Montessori approach, that would be that you are doing very practical things with that pumpkin. You can wash it, so what could you use to wash the pumpkins? Well, it would be really fun if you used real soap and water and you had a little tub there with your soapy water in it and you were washing it if with a washcloth, or you could use a sponge, or the little picture I think that's pinned on Pinterest, it uses a toothbrush. Now, I think a lot of my little friends would see the toothbrush and naturally want to brush their teeth with it and then put it back on the pumpkin. If you can stand that and don't think that's too gross, you go right ahead. I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to be using the water. If you don't want to use the water, if you think that's too messy, my goodness, just use baby wipes. I think toddlers are obsessed with baby wipes and love them anyway, so that would be a real fun thing to do. You've already kind of had your past the Pumpkin song. If you're washing, you I would also incorporate a little song here with, you know, this is the way we wash the pumpkin, wash the pumpkin, wash the pumpkin. You know the rest of that song. So sing that, and again, we we all know why music works. And so be sure that you're singing and coming up with little little verbal routines, uh, little songs that you sing over and over and over and that you just adapt from activity to activity to activity. And, again, this makes play highly predictable for children. They anticipate what's going to happen, so they are more likely to participate. So that's something else you can do with your real pumpkin. And, again, you're targeting uh, that word, that very practical verb, which is wash, other directions that you can follow with the pumpkin, if you have other children there, you can roll it back and forth, and you might make a little relay of this where, where you roll the pumpkin to the other side of the room and then the child waiting on the other side gets to roll it back, and you can do some really fun things with that. Other verbs that you might do, you might sing instead of pass the pumpkin, if everyone has a pumpkin, their individual pumpkin, or you could do it with just the one pumpkin. Everybody there could pat the pumpkin. And so then you're singing, pat the pumpkin, pat the pumpkin, all around, all around. You know, again, blah, 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 finishing on out like you want to do it. You could kiss the pumpkin. And, again, do our activities with toddlers have to always make sense? Heavens no. Thank goodness. <laughs> so you could kiss the pumpkin. You could tickle the pumpkin. and You could stomp the pumpkin. Um, you, if you have little friends that are, won't get too aroused about this, you could kick the pumpkin. That might send some of our little guys over the edge though, and then you've lost all control. So just use your own judgment on that. But you could really teach birds with this kind of goal uh, or with this kind of activity. You could really also get that very beginning of parallel play where Children are all doing the same things. They're not necessarily being too cooperative yet, but they're noticing what their little friends do. And so you could do some nice things with um, accomplishing both of those goals with that activity. Other things you could do for just a purely um, social kind of activity is really include another child's name so that you're saying, roll the pumpkin to Tyler. Roll the pumpkin to Brandon. Roll the pumpkin to Susie. You know, whoever's there so that you're really using your peer name. So that's a lot of fun too. If you don't want to roll it, if you want to have the children kind of sitting in a a larger circle, you could say take it to in the child's name. Now children who are toddlers picking up something and taking it across the room, again, loads of fun for this age group and so I wouldn't even think about getting little pumpkins for this activity. I would get a larger pumpkin, one that weighs a little bit. What have you done when you've introduced some weight into the object that you're carrying? You're you're doing deep pressure. You're doing heavy work. And so for our little guys who need that sensory strategy to help them calm down and participate, carrying a larger pumpkin like that would be a nice, nice way to include that sensory strategy as part of your game. So you've tackled two goals there with your sensory uh, regulatory piece and your social piece, if you're having them take it to another little peer. What if you don't have peers, but you still want to work on or include maybe this activity as a regulatory piece of your therapy session? Uh, You want to use that heavy work, and you really want to talk to moms about how they could do this this time of year. Why don't you use that same activity with take the pumpkin, and then you can have them take it to various places in the house. And if you're also working on prepositions, you can, oh, this would just be a great way to extend your language goals, too. So you could say put it on the couch, put it under the table, put the pumpkin in the chair, put the pumpkin in your bed put the pumpkin, you know, um, on wherever. And so you're, look at how many things you're accomplishing there. You're working on your prepositions. You're working on just following directions. You're using some functional locations around the house. I mean, I think a two year old would think it would be hysterical to go put the pumpkin in the bathtub. And again, you've got your movement piece going there. And this might be a nice thing to do in between some of your other play activities. I talk all the time about how we need to use a move, sit, move, sit to kind of What that means? It means that some of your activities, you're going to be sitting down together, and then after you've done that for 10 minutes or whatever the child needs, you need to get up and move. You need to change location so that you can re-energize that little um, arousal system so that you can get some of those wiggles out so that the child will be able to come back after you've done that movement activity and sit with you and do a quieter activity. And this is a great way to make the sensory piece of our treatment plans more fun so that we're still targeting language. We're still targeting receptive language. You know, you can, of course, work your expressive language goals in here. And so, again, I want you to be really creative and think about all the different things that you can do with that real pumpkin while you are also incorporating your... um, language goals, as well as your sensory strategies. Okay, another great, oh, let me talk about this. Using even just a box or a wagon there with the pumpkin is also a great way to target prepositions. So you're having the child, you know, put the pumpkin in the wagon and under the wagon, and you can turn the wagon upside down and even say on the wagon, and just then you can knock it off the wagon. And again, you're targeting those early, early location phrases, those location words that are so important to be able to understand in everyday life so that a child can follow directions from his parents or from his teachers or wherever he happens to be. So a wagon is a great prop um, this time of year. But if you don't have a wagon, use a box, use a laundry basket, anything like that so that you can really target those prepositions. And you may not be moving throughout the house During this portion of your session, you're staying right there and really working on the receptive language piece. If your child is beyond that and you're working on, say, vowels for intelligibility, prepositions are great target words because they nearly all begin with vowels, (laughs) you know, in, out, on, off, up. So you look at that uh, variability there with sound production. So you can do some great things with that as well. And so many of our little guys who have apraxia or motor planning, verbal motor planning problems need that vowel differentiation practice. So prepositions are great, great, great target words for those kinds of kids. All right, other things that you can do with real pumpkins. This is also pinned on teachmetotalk.com's Pinterest page. You can hammer golf tees into tons of fun for toddlers. They absolutely love it. Now, you pretty much are destroying the pumpkin that you use when you do this activity. So you may have to bring your own pumpkin so that you are not going to make mom upset that you have ruined the pumpkin that they are planning to carve later this week so but a great fine motor activity our ot friends would love that and and what are we targeting when we're using like a hammer with the child yes you're targeting the fine motor uh, fine motor skills but you're also targeting cognition because it's tool use and your purpose here again is for the child to use the hammer to Pound the teas into the pumpkin. And, again, a great cognitive focus as well. So you can document that as um, another goal or another focus for your activity. One of my favorite things to do with toddlers with pumpkins, real-life pumpkins, are using potato head parts to decorate the pumpkin rather than carving it or even painting on it. And I like this. And, again, it's kind of the, the same Um, take as using the golf tee, you know, you're actually pushing uh, the potato head part into the pumpkin. Practice with your pumpkin before you start to do that. In the past, I've done this with children, and, and for whatever reason, the pumpkin's just been really tough to get the peas to go all the way in, and that's been really frustrating for some of my little friends. So, again, you want to make sure that you've got a pumpkin, that that's practical, that it's not too hard but that's a really fun way to use your potato head parts too. And and what are you working on here? Of course, you're working on receptive language because you are um, targeting those body parts. But you're also uh, using your prepositions here with in and out and take it off. You're you know put it on, put his hat on. Those kinds of words. You're also doing tons of work with verbs here. You're pushing. You're pulling. You're giving. Uh, You're getting, you know, those kinds of things. So you can give some directions here with, you know, get the nose, push the nose in. Now get his eyes or take his feet off. So again, look at all the things that you're targeting. And be sure a therapist is documenting that so that you're giving yourself credit for all the goals that you're working on in one single activity. Okay, let's keep going. The third little step song that we could use is the hello mr turkey song and um this is another song that i did a lot in play group and i think it's a really cute little song it's hello mr turkey how are you and then you clap twice i can't really do that as i'm holding the phone to do the show but you know uh, clap twice there and then hello mr turkey how are you you're uh, oh gosh now i've forgotten the song Uh, your feet go wobble, wobble, and your mouth says gobble, gobble. Hello, Mr. Turkey, how are you? Clap, clap. You're clapping after every little uh, line there. And, again, what are you targeting when you're clapping? You're targeting that body imitation and that early um, gesture goal. Now, we know that children have to use gestures before they begin to talk. And really, we should see gestures before they even begin to use sign language. So if you have a little guy or a little girl on your caseload and they haven't been signing, or you're a mom and you're frustrated because you've been working on signs for weeks or even months and your child is not getting it, you probably need to back up and work on some earlier gestures. And clapping is huge. Clapping is also you know, kind of symbolic, because usually when we clap, we're saying, yay, or something to that order. So teaching clapping in the context of a song or a game is is great, and it helps for a child who's already clapping a little bit for praise that he likes something. This is a great way to expand when he uses that. So super little song, And I hope I didn't butcher it too much when I sang it. It's, hello, Mr. Turkey, how are you? Clap, clap. Hello, Mr. Turkey, how are you? Clap, clap. Your feet go wobble, wobble, and your mouth says gobble, gobble. Hello, Mr. Turkey, how are you? So cute little song. Okay, what extension activities can we use? Well, I pinned some things on Pinterest today for Thanksgiving activities for toddlers Cute little art activities. Cute, cute, cute. And, again, these aren't too complicated. For toddlers, you don't need to do things that are, you know, require 30 for them to sit for 30 minutes to do it. That's completely impractical. So really easy art activities are on Pinterest there. Some of my favorite ones were to make the turkey just cut out two brown triangles, a smaller triangle, and turn it upside down so that the point is facing the bottom of the paper, and that's the head. And then a larger triangle for the body. And so the the side with uh, not the top but the bottom of the triangle with the two angles that would be the turkey's feet. And then you could glue little googly eyes on, and toddlers would love using glue sticks. If you don't have the giggly eyes or don't want to do that, just draw some eyes, nose, and mouth on there and use targeted body parts. And then you could do anything for turkey feathers. I like using feathers. I think feathers are something that, again, are a novel object for toddlers. So get your glue stick out and all of you, you know, say rub, 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 rub as you're rubbing that glue stick on the paper. And then you're going to put your feathers on there and you could do, you know, pat, 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 And again, you're making that a verbal routine, and we know that many, many, many children have to participate in those, that automatic speech part, like saying a word in a song or saying a word in a little verbal routine like I've just described, before they start to really imitate single words. So it's a great way to target expressive language for children who are not quite imitative yet. So I love using things like that. If you don't have feathers, you could just cut out um, different colors with construction paper and use that. I saw on Pinterest popsicle sticks, colored popsicle sticks uh, for the feathers. And I think those are all interesting materials that toddlers would love to use and it would be a great way to get in those early little craft things. And again, this craft doesn't need to take 30 minutes. You know, two minutes and you're done, and that's okay. And that should be our reasonable expectation for participation in an activity like that. (laughs) And then you can uh, uh, sing your little song again about turkeys because you've made that real. Now you've got your concrete object there so that the child is uh, familiar with that word. I like the target word turkey because you are changing uh, vowels there, and it's so difficult for so many of our little friends with intelligibility issues to be able to um, change that vowel from syllable to syllable, and I think it's a great practice word. Um, again, you may not be, it may not be highly functional the rest of the year, but it's a great word to use um, this time of year. Also on Pinterest, another cute activity with turkeys was making a felt board so that the child can play with the parts of the turkey uh, independently, even after you're finished with this activity. And that might be a fun little group activity to do too where you're coming up with a little song or, you know, you could even sing that little song, um, 10 Little Indians. You could do 10 Little Feathers with this kind of activity and make sure that you have 10 colored felt pieces that look like feathers, so that you are using that as you sing the song. So I think that would be a great little activity, too. All right, let's move on and talk about structured teaching kinds of tasks. Now, this is based on the TEACH model, which is, you know, North Carolina's autism program. And this, the theory is that we're going to use activities that are really visually based for our children who are visual learners, and especially uh, these activities work so well for our little friends who are on the autism spectrum who don't really like toys, or who aren't as into play with toys as you would like. And again, these, these activities are not language dependent, meaning that we need them to be highly visual. Now, we, as you progress with, if you're looking at establishing a real teach program, you're going to use a lot of visuals uh, meaning pictures to show the child what comes first in an activity and then what's next and what's later. If you're just getting started and these activities aren't going to be uh, independent yet, you don't necessarily need those pieces, but those certainly are other portions of the program that I want to mention. So what are some great structured teaching activities that we can do this time of year? Well, first of all, matching or putting objects into sorting those kinds of pieces, you know, one group from another, that's always a big, big, big early goal with any of your structured teaching programs. So I was at Dollar Tree today, and again, I told you at the beginning of the show, this is, I had already been planning these activities for the kids that I'm seeing this week, so I ran in to pick up some of these things. Um, One of my little guys that I'm seeing is really still into container play, and we know that that's for children who are developmentally still under twelve months of age, that's what they like to do. They like to put things in containers and take them out. And what could we do for a kid at this developmental level? Sometimes we really struggle for activities for for a therapy session and for a home program for these kinds of kids. So even getting clear a clear container and just drilling a hole in the top, uh, or using a container that already has a hole, some holes in the top like a Parmesan cheese container and then looking for interesting objects for the child to put in there because it's Halloween or fall, we would look for, um, or, and you could not even sharpen them yet, just take them, you know, directly from the con- from the package that they come in and what's your your goal for this is pretty simple. It's just that the child would put three or five of them or ten of them if he has a long enough attention span into the container. And this is so um, engaging for children who are at that developmental level because they're still cognitively kind of working on that concept of in and out. And they really like to get (laughs) uh, objects placed into that little hole, and we all know children get interested in this, you know, because they try to stick uh, cars in the air conditioner vent, or they're trying to put something in any little opening that they have in your home, and this is kind of a precursor to being able to work puzzles, and so it's a great, great, or or a shape-sorter toy if you have children who aren't developmentally there yet. This is a great way to kind of get them there, is to do an earlier um, modified version of that activity. So that's a great one to do. If you have children that are more advanced and you want to do some object-to-object matching, I found some great things for this today at Dollar Tree. They had some super felt um, pumpkins that were already in a little package. I think there were three or four orange pumpkins and then you know maybe four brown pumpkins and then four yellow pumpkins. So you could do some matching with that and have some color matching for your children who are ready for that. They also had some leaves that were felt as well, so a really similar kind of activity. You may have children who aren't matching by color, but you're just going to have them put all the pumpkins on this side and all the leaves on the other side. And you'll have to provide a model of that. What I would probably do is take a piece of cardboard or construction paper or even something like a plastic um, bowl or you know it could be something left over like a cool Whip container and put a pumpkin in the bottom of one container one of those little pumpkins the your felt pumpkins and then the leaf in the other container and then that's your goal is you're going to sort you could put all the pumpkins over here and all the leaves over there What if you can't get to Dollar Tree and you can't get the pre-made felt uh, objects? Make them yourself. You know, felt is really cheap at Walmart. I think it's like a sheet, and so you can make that yourself. What if you're not even that crafty and you don't want to do it? Get construction paper. Uh, I like to laminate all of those little activities so I can keep them from child to child and year after year. You know, I have some laminated little games and materials that are, you know, five years old, some that are even 10 years old. And so you can keep them forever and use them year after year after year. So those are some kinds of matching little activities that you can do with that. If you have a child who's ready for not object-to-object matching but object-to-picture matching... You can do some great things with materials, uh, seasonal materials from places like Dollar Tree. Today, I picked up some sets of erasers, and they have all little Halloween-related objects or uh, fall-related things. I think there's a leaf, and there were some Halloween things like a witch and a ghost and a pumpkin. And so what can you do with this? Well, you could match it object to object and do what I described earlier, which is put uh, one of each of those kinds of things maybe in a little slot in a box, or you could just have them even laid out on the floor or on a table, or you could put them in a muffin pan or an ice tray so that the child has to figure out okay here's the witch in the little in the in this part of the pumpkin or this part of the muffin pan, and i've got to put all the witch erasers right there together, so they're doing that nice sorting and matching. One way to kind of bump this up a little bit is to do some pattern matching, and that's where you are taking your erasers and put it on your scanner or on your copier at home, copy those erasers, and again, you get the picture, and the child is supposed to match the eraser to the picture. Of the eraser, the picture of the same thing, and you could do several little patterns. You might have children who are just ready to do that one to one matching, so you're going to make all of your pictures single pictures, so he has to match the picture of the ghost to the ghost eraser, and then same thing you know with all of them. You might have children who were ready for two pictures per little page. I have a little friend that I'm going to see that I'm going to be able to do you know five or six pictures she's older. And she'll love that. And this will be an activity, again, that will be highly preferred for her. So when she's getting a little cranky and doesn't want to do what I want her to do in therapy anymore, I'm going to pull this activity out because I know it will bring her right back to me. She will love it. This is a strength of hers, and then I can incorporate some other higher-level language goals in there, too. Now, with teach, you're not really supposed to be overly verbal in these activities. But if you have a child that's ready for that, you know, with my little girl that I'm seeing, I'll have her ask me for what comes next or tell me what comes next. And that's what we're doing. We're working on sequencing, and we're working on using longer phrases and short sentences. So she'll be able to verbally request that, you know, I need a cat, please, or I need more pumpkins so that she can match all of her little pictures there with um, what I've already pre-made for her. So great way to include those little visual tasks. Okay, what about using these kinds of matching activities for groups? How can we do that? Well, we set up little relays, and so you would take whatever you've Laminated whether you've laminated lots of pumpkins or maybe you've you've gotten different colored construction paper and made a bunch of leaves, so you've got red leaves and yellow leaves and orange leaves and brown leaves. you put one of each color on each side of the room and for groups of children you need to have lots of material, so you would have like in you know seven. Or eight of each color and then, you know, each child then is going to pick a leaf and I would put these leaves maybe in your plastic jack-o'-lantern and so the child has to reach in and pick one and toddlers think that is so fun. And if they're ready to do expressive language, You know, even if they're signing, they could sign more. Or you know, you might say, "Whose turn is it?" And the target sign there is mine, so that they're they're signing mine, and so you are having them. uh, You know, they're doing their version of requesting, whether it's with a sign or a word or a gesture, whatever you're using, and then they run. And they match their leaf to um, the leaves on the floor, you know, so they, if they have an orange leaf, they put it in a pile with the other orange leaves and then they run back to the starting line. You're targeting executive functioning for this kind of game. They have to take turns. They have to wait in line. They have to plan. (laughs) but they're picking their leaf from the pumpkin and then they're running over and then they're running back. There's a receptive language component. They have to follow directions. There's the cognitive component. They have to remember the game. So tons of great ways to document all kinds of goals with a simple little relay game. And you've already made the materials. If you're going to use it with one kid individually for matching, you can certainly make more and use it at your next little client's appointment, uh, you know, if, that happened, if there happen to be a group of children there. So super things you could do. You could also, <coughs> excuse me, change your leaves so that you're making some leaves big and some leaves little. So you've introduced a size component for your kids who were working on that goal, either receptively or expressively. So lots of things you can do with that, too. Okay, we only have two more minutes. Let me see. Let me talk to you about Play-Doh. You can do tons of things with different colored Play-Doh. Go get yourself some cookie cutters that that are seasonal. And so, again, that's how we're incorporating that kind of holiday-related activity. Another fun thing to do with our children who are not verbally imitative yet, you don't get words yet, they're not to that point, is to use those little jack-o'-lanterns to get some of that early verbal imitation going just at the sound level. And so you might just l- take your little jack-o'-lantern and just lean into it and do a big ah or oh or even if they grunt an uh oh, ah, oh, See if you can get the child to imitate it and I promise using something like a jack-o'-lantern, those little plastic Halloween containers, or a bucket, or if you don't have that, a pot in the kitchen. That that will echo a little bit. Sometimes that that motor piece of you making a big deal about leaning in and saying that or modeling that sound, it's magic the child wants to do it too. Whereas he or she may never have attempted to imitate you before, all of a sudden if you introduce that fun little game, they want to try to imitate. And I've had huge success this time of year with a Halloween container and getting a child to try to copy whatever sound I've done. You could do it for consonant sounds too. So if you have a child who's not getting any pharyngeal consonants. You can't do a k or a g with life, you're working on k's and g's. That might be a way to get to try to do that too. But again, a super, super fun way, and I have been successful with children when they're not verbally imitated yet, and we're really trying to entice them, almost trick them, into um, trying to copy us, copy a sound that we say. And so this is a huge, um, hugely successful way to do it. With this time of year, I I wanted to talk about sensory boxes, but I know I've talked a lot about sensory boxes on the shows in the past when we've talked about fall therapy activities. So if you don't know what those are, or you don't know how you could use sensory activities with um, for fall related uh, therapy materials, go back to last year, <laughs> look at something from September or October in the archives, so that you can hear those great ideas with sensory boxes. One other thing that I want to mention, two other things really, really quickly. This time of year is so fun because children are going to be donning those Halloween costumes. If you're an OT or a special instructor or developmental therapist, you may be working on that self-help skill of dressing. So putting on that Halloween costume, taking it off, that's a great functional way to target that this time of year. This is also a great time of year for us as therapists who want to increase uh, our toy closets Buy those little costumes when they go on sale, and playing dress-up is a fun activity all year long. Today, when I was at Dollar Tree, there were so many cute things there, and they're automatically cheap because they're, what, a dollar, (laughs) but they had butterfly wings and cowboy hats and army hats and just all kinds, you know, fairy wands, magic wands, all kinds of little things that you can use in a dress-up corner or a dress-up box. For the rest of the year, so take a look at those things. And the day after Halloween, November 1st, all of those things are going to really be marked down, not at Dollar Tree, but at other places. So use this time of year to really beef up your inventory of dress up clothes. And toddlers and preschoolers love dress up, and usually, for lots of our little guys, that's how that's our in or our door to really complex pretend play. Now a child can't do that until he's developmentally ready. If you have a child who's not functionally using objects in play, like he doesn't know to feed the baby doll with a spoon, well he's not ready for complex pretend play. So don't do it with those kids. But for your kids who are who are higher level kids who are ready for this kind of thing, dressing up is a great way to help them think about and plan and really kind of understand that idea of more complex pretend play. And you can do all kinds of great things with your higher level kids just by having some better props. So take a look at that. The last thing I want to recommend is to practice trick-or-treating with your friends. How do you practice? Will you let mom and the little guy go outside and come knock on their own door. And if you don't want to do it outside, use it with the kitchen door or the bathroom door and have them practice knocking on the door. And then when you open the door really big, have them practice, even if they're not saying trick or treat yet, have them say hi or hey or whatever they say. If they're signing, have them sign candy or candy please. That will involve neighbor's heart when they know that their little friend who's struggling to learn how to communicate has come to them and find candy they'll probably get the whole bowl so practice that with your friends this week they have some uh, prior exposure before their moms and dads drag them all over their little neighborhoods later on this week all right that's all for this show I hope that you got some really cute ideas to use for the rest of the week and on through November, if you have great uh, therapy ideas you want to share with me, please email me at laura at and I'll use those on the future show. And again, next week we're going to have Sarah Beam from Weekend talking about finding and singing. Two of my favorite things. So hopefully you want me to Thanks so much.